I'm Sylvie. Welcome to the podcast of the new school of creativity. They make me smarter. We're going to meet smart and creative people who have something to teach us. For each episode, with the artist Pierre Guité, we design a tool to help you to practice the best tips and mind tricks inspired by our guest. It should be fun and transformative. Get on board, make the world a fun place to be, let's be bold and creative. The mind creative trick of the day. Rule number four, to be more creative, finish the work you have started. The inspiration comes from G.K. Rowling, the best-selling author of the Harry Potter series and the novels signed under the pen name Robert Galbraith. G.K. Rowling wrote on her Twitter wall, the discipline involved in finishing a piece of creative work is something on which you can truly pride yourself. You'll have turned yourself from somebody who's thinking of, who might, who's trying, to someone who did, and once you have done it, you'll know you can do it again. That is an extraordinarily empowering piece of knowledge. So do not ever quit out of fear of rejection. She added in another tweet, Maybe your third, fourth, fifth song, novel, painting will be the one that makes it, that wins the plaudits. But you had never have got there without finishing the others, all of which will now be of more interest to your audience. Rule number four, to be more creative, finish the work you have started. Welcome to episode 4. I'm meeting Philippe Tellio at the Gold Hotel in the Old Montreal. Philippe is the founder of the international startup festival Startup Fest. I divided this series on creative entrepreneurship in three parts. The first one, the man who lives his dream by connecting entrepreneurs to investors, is about how you can achieve your dream later in life even if your first dream weren't met. In the second episode, we are reflecting on how becoming a successful entrepreneur. And the third one will be a special edition with some surprises, since I will do it during Startup Fest next week in Montreal. To complete this episode, you can download the workbook Making Space for Freedom to help you to find the desires ingrained in you as G.K. Rowling and Philip Tellio found the desires ingrained in them. You can download it in the post associated with this episode. I think you're from Montreal. I am indeed. I was born in Montreal, born and bred of immigrant parents, I might add, though. Ah, this is interesting. Sure. From where? My parents originally from Egypt. Oh, 
my grandparents from Syria, Lebanon, Greece. Uh, we're a very nom nomadic family. They had many choices of cities to go to, uh, many. They had a few, Paris, uh, London, uh, Montreal. Some went to New York and some went to Brazil and others went to Mexico. And my grandfather chose Montreal because he was looking for a stable, safe place to be. And of all the cities mentioned, uh, I think Montreal in those days was certainly the most, uh, the safest, the most stable. It's still the case. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to raise my family here. I studied uh, in engineering at uh, University of Western Ontario, uh, with the original intent of being uh, a, build a bridge builder. And never end up by building physical bridges, but uh, I like to believe that I've built my fair share of virtual bridges. Was it your first choice? Uh, engineering? Uh, yeah, it felt like a very natural choice when I was in high school. I, I went to boarding school, Bishop's College School, and was very inspired by my math and science teachers. Um, and it just seemed like a very logical place to be, a uh, profession, uh, one that I guess was well respected and one that had a future. And little did I know when I graduated that there would be no future, no construction and no opportunities in, in engineering. You know, when you're a student and you're looking to, you're, you're looking for guidance, you're looking for help, um, sometimes it's not necessarily, well, it's certainly not the person that's going to push you in a direction, but rather the person that sits there and is extremely open to listening and hearing you out. I, I guess it's a little bit like a psychologist, where the goal is not to tell you what your problems are, but have you, you know, delve into your reality. And so I would say the, the teachers that were the most inspiring uh, were those that really were the most open to, to listening. I never practiced as an engineer. Uh, I mean, ironically, I failed computer science three times in university. I was never a great student, uh, and so I guess failure is traumatic, always. I guess my first year out of university was probably the most traumatic because I came from a very structured, you know, private school, boarding school at that, where you had to study X number of hours per day. Uh, and then all of a sudden I was thrust into, you know, university environment where there were no controls. So the only course I, I passed was French <laughs> in Ontario, uh, naturally. Um, every other course in engineering, I actually didn't fail them, I dropped them in time uh, so that I didn't actually fail. Uh, but that was pretty traumatic, you know, I guess all of a sudden being on your own, having to figure it out. Uh, and realizing that, you know, it's actually your fate is in your own hands and that comes to you at a certain moment. Um, and that was pretty traumatic at that time. Uh, now looking back on it, it's just, you know, the reality of being a self-sustaining, you know, adult. There was a period of time when we grew up, certainly, where knowledge was held by the teachers. And there was no other way to access that knowledge than to have a teacher that was willing to, you know, dispense that knowledge the world has completely changed. I mean, but when I was in university in the 90s, uh, that's the way it was. I had no choice. I couldn't study engineering online. It didn't exist. There were no courses. Uh, so I would imagine that, that there's going to be a dramatic shift to self-learning and self-teaching. And, and I even see it already with my kids today. Their hunger to go online and learn things, you know, because they can. They're no longer constrained by me having to give them knowledge. They can choose to go out and learn on their own. Learning is their responsibility. It's not 
the parents' responsibility or the teacher's responsibility, it's their responsibility to learn. You know, I came out of university as an engineer, as a civil engineer, so buildings and bridges, and there was no, no work. I ended up by getting my first job with a company called Public Technologies Multimedia, which was a virtual reality firm, you know, before the internet really came about. I got hired as an engineer, as a software engineer. I was, really wasn't very good at it. <laughs> what did you learn from your failure in computer science? Did you learn oh, so much. I mean, I learned, I learned the things that I didn't like doing. I didn't like doing repetitive tasks. Uh, I was not stimulated, nor motivated, nor, you know, and I think it manifests itself in a, a lack of precision, uh, which for an engineer is, you know, a god-awful thing. I mean, you expect engineers to have an extreme amount of precision. Today we're now using computers to automate things, but back then we were, we were the automats. I realized that that's not where I was going to shine, was in, in doing those automatic tasks. My ambitions were beyond the capacities of an even of a funded company at the time, um, and I we had a client in those days called Locus Dialog, and you know we were as public technologies multimedia, you know we were a supplier to this company, and uh, their head of of sales at the time needed somebody on their team in charge of marketing and they came to recruit me and it was just a perfect you know circumstance perfect timing I was not necessarily at that point extremely enthralled with what I was doing and so luck and timing has it such that uh, they came at the right moment and so I went to work for uh, Locus Dialogue which was a speech technology firm uh, eventually got acquired by uh, a few different companies over the years when you come out of university you have maybe a lot of desires and a lot of ambitions and wills, but you've got no experience. And so the learnings when I went to Locus Dialogue thereafter were far more professional. So it was more things like you know, the nuts and bolts of how to create a distribution network, how to build a team, how to because we grew hyper growth in those years. And so it was much more the how-tos. Uh, I would say you know, in, the, in the PTM days, and, and certainly as a result of my age, and my lack of experience, it was much more of an inspirational experience, whereas when we got to, when I got to Locus Dialogue, it was much more about the how-tos. How did you decide to become an entrepreneur? What was the trigger? You know, it's something that I always wanted to do from very young. My grandfather was an entrepreneur, my father was an entrepreneur. It was always something that I felt was uh, ingrained in me. But when you go down a path of being an employee, uh, and if you're successful as an employee, you're given good compensation, you have security, you have you know, great vacation pays, you can shut down at five o'clock at night. It's a very comfortable place to be, whereas being an entrepreneur is much more of a risky endeavor. Locus Dialogue got acquired uh, by a company out of Seattle, Infospace. I continued to work with them for a couple of years until they decided they were going to close down the Montreal office and they wanted us to move, they wanted me to move to uh, Seattle. I mean, my wife was pregnant at the time, there was no way I was leaving Montreal, I love my city, um, and I just wasn't ready to make a move to Seattle. I took the package, they offered me a package, I took the package and all of a sudden I was sort of out of a job for about, you know, I guess the what felt like an eternity was probably only a few months. and. 
in those moments, you know, I, you know, I had enough money from the package that I didn't need to stress about, you know, how I was going to feed, you know, my family and pay my bills. But, you know, I was looking at different avenues. You know, do I go and find another job? And I went to interview, or is this an opportunity for me to do my own thing? Necessity is the mother of invention. What we end up, what I end up by doing was, you know, creating my own opportunities, and so. It happened all very organically, really. I got hired by an old colleague to help on some business development stuff and some answering some proposals, and, and then it just sort of you know, snowballed into creating a consulting practice, and then eventually you know, the business that I have now. You know, whenever you have these underlying desires, eventually they manifest each other or themselves, if you're lucky. What was the most difficult challenges in these years? got into entrepreneurship because it was, you know, there was nothing else that I could do. And, and, you know, I always find that moments of, like, recessions are the perfect opportunity to create entrepreneurs because they really have no, they can't go out and get a job in other places, so they got to create their own job. Difficult moments in entrepreneurship are when you're trying to scale. I mean, trying to get off the ground is relatively easy, and just getting off the ground is easy. You know, actually sailing and scaling uh, is the difficult part. I think you can teach entrepreneurial behavior, uh, but at a very young age. And so I think that we can instill in our children an ability to uh, A, think critically, uh, to imagine problems and solutions to those problems. We can instill in children this notion of risk and that, you know, it's not an insurmountable amount of risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, to become an entrepreneur, but I think later in life, once we're ingrained in our behaviors, it's much harder to teach entrepreneurship. So I think once once people are, are you know, kids, students are in university, is not the time to instill in them this desire to. Now they may be thrust into a reality like I was, which is I don't have a job and therefore I must create my own job because I must work, I must feed myself. But uh, I think we've got a better chance of instilling entrepreneurial values uh, in very young children than we do in, in older children. Entrepreneurs need to recognize luck and they need to seize on that. Uh, it's an opportunity that you, you, know, you create, but you know, at one point I used to say, look, you know, it's not really me, Startup Festival, in the early days, it was just somebody needed to hold the flag and march forward and, and people in the community wanted somebody to rally around and, and I was happy to be that, that cheerleader if you'd like. What is your dream? Uh, I'm living it. Honestly, I'm very, you know, I'm lucky to be able to do what I love to do. Um, I, you know, really, you know, get high on meeting people, connecting people, exchanging intellectually with people and uh, I get to do that. Uh, I get to do that in my daily life. There are moments of stress and you know high pressures, and then there's moments of complete detente. And so, um, I'm very happy. Want to be as happy as Philip? Reflect on your past as the best-selling author of the Harry Potter series G.K. Rowling did when she gave her commencement address at Harvard and Philippe Tellio did during this interview. Download your workbook, Making Space for Freedom. And my challenge for you today, finish the creative work 
you have started. Now you play. Don't miss the next episode for the rest of the conversation with Philip to know where you can learn to become a successful entrepreneur. Thanks for sharing. Cheers. Thank you.